You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Father, we... We thank you for the blessing and the privilege to be in your presence. Lord, I can't speak for us as a collective body, but God, I pray that we would be captivated by you. And Lord, if that isn't a reality yet, make that a reality today. Give us a glimpse of your holiness today. For we couldn't see it all at once. Give us a glimpse of your greatness today, Lord, that we might find ourselves captivated by you and who you are. Father, I pray that the proclamation of your word right now will be received and that we would be ready and willing to respond to it. Make us a people, Lord, who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. And Father, I acknowledge for anything good to come of this time today, I need to be nothing and you everything. And so, Father, I pray that would be a reality. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. And as you're finding your seats, let me go ahead and invite some ushers, some folks that are ready there in the back to make their way down. What we need you to do is this, is if you don't have a copy of God's word with you this morning, don't be embarrassed or anything, but so that you can get the most out of the morning, slip your hand up so that we can get one of those to you. If you do not own a Bible, this is a gift to you. Take it home, use it, make use of it. We're going to need this today. We're going to be digging into the word of God. Now, if you're out there and you're looking here at me and you're wondering, who is this guy? Admittedly, Julie and I, our family, we've been gone for the past month and a half visiting a lot of other harvest chapels. So if you've started visiting between that time, you've never met me. And that's really okay. (laughs) I'm just a dude. My name's Benny. I'm here to proclaim the word for you today. And uh, would love to meet you if you've never met me and if I've never met you. So come talk to me after everything is said and done today. But this morning is about the Lord. It's about his word. Go ahead and open your copy to the book of Psalm, chapter 146. And as you're turning there, let me just talk to you about something that I have discovered in my own life. One of the most frustrating experiences in life is getting out of something less than you were hoping for. Now, now work with me this morning because this has practical ramifications for each of us. It happens all the time. It happens when you go to the restaurant. It happens when you go on vacation. It happens when you purchase your new car or your new home. You get out of something less than you were hoping for. And I'm not sure about you and your family, but we've discovered that toys are not the exception to this rule. And so my two boys, Ezra and Josiah, they love toys just like the next little dude. And this has got to be a frustrating experience for kiddos. They work hard during their chores. 
They earn their money. They put every penny they can to the side. And then it's time. The day comes. And so we take off to the store because literally the money's singeing a hole in their pocket. You get to the store and you only have one place to go. The toy section. So you go there and you see this sea of unbelievable toys. And the packaging. Oh, the packaging is beautiful. And on the package, you read of endless hours of fun that you can anticipate just as soon as you get this thing home. Only to find out after you buy it and you get it home, that just as sure as you open the package, soon after that, you discover toys break, right? Now, if I had some young ones in here, they'd be giving me all kinds of amens right now. That's right. Preach it, brother. But we all know this is the way it happens. Sometimes what's even sadder than that is that you're so enthralled by the package that you don't even recognize the fact that some of those toys are broken before you even get them out of the package. You with me this morning? Man, this is a bad deal. I want to suggest the idea this morning. The people are not too dissimilar. I want to propose to you that people are not that much different than that. People with their packages of promising. And you look at them and they have promises of all sorts of things. Hey, I can give you your hope. I am the person that you need to put your trust in. Look, look to me. I'm the one that can solve your problems. And we buy into that. And sometimes we serve in that same function. Only to realize that we are broken before we even get out of the package. Now, I can't speak for you this morning. What I can tell you is, by way of confession, this is a real struggle for me. Sometimes I trust in the people that are out there. and Sometimes I'm trusting in this dude. And in either case, it is a horrible, horrible temptation To try to fix my problems and find my help and find my hope in people. Broken people nonetheless. Now if you're here this morning and if if, if you join me. If you say, hey Benny, it's not just you dude. It's it's, it's me as well. If that's you this morning, then here's what I want to do. I want to introduce you to Psalm 146. Now if you've not yet discovered that that's a temptation and struggle of yours. I also want to introduce you to Psalm 146. Because it has something to say to all of us. And so if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and do so. Let's read the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man. In whom there is no salvation. For when his breath departs. He returns to the earth. And on that very day. His plans perish. Blessed is he whose help. Is the God of Jacob. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. Who made heaven and earth. The sea and all that is in them. 
who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry and sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. It's the Lord who lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. This is the word of God, and this is what we are going to focus on this morning. Psalm 146 is the first of five psalms that conclude the Psalter. When you start digging into Psalm 146, you you discover some similarities that you'll find in the others as well. These are called the Hallelujah Psalms for good reason. They begin and they end with Hallelujah or depending on your translation, praise the Lord. We can't be for certain, but more than likely this is pinned at a time when Israel had been released from captivity, released from bondage in Babylon And in view of God's greatness, in view of the fact that he literally delivered them from the very brinks of destruction, the psalmist pens these psalms, and he gives a tremendous blessing to you and to me. And if you don't discover anything else when you study this psalm in particular and the others as well, you should at least come away believing this, that our lives, in view of what the psalmist says, our lives really should be spent in praise to God. In fact, if you're a note taker this morning, even if you don't take actual notes, I want to strongly encourage you on the tablet of your mind to take down this, this one solitary idea that I have come here this morning to give to you. There's nothing special about me, but there is something powerful about the word of God. And the message of the hour this morning is simply this. Ceaseless praise and trust are the only reasonable responses in view of God's greatness. Now, let me show you how that works. When you've got a guy like me who does big idea preaching, sometimes it sounds like just something he's throwing out there. No, this is going to be the anchor of everything that we say this morning, because this seems to be the message of Psalm 146. And here's the way this works if we invert it just a little bit. Now, this morning in the service prior to this, I had to encourage folks to, to loosen up a little bit. Are you loose this morning? Yeah, you sound loose. So, 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 so get this. This is the way this works. God is great. There we go. There we go. All right, we're doing well. God's greatness is such that when you get a glimpse of God's greatness, it demands a response, church. It demands a response. You cannot get a glimpse of God's greatness and then sit back idle thinking, well, that's nice. No, it demands a response. What I'm suggesting from Psalm 146 this morning is that the only reasonable response, admittedly, there's a lot of responses you could give. The only reasonable response when you get a glimpse of God's greatness is ceaseless praise and trust. So, 
Let's take a look at the text, and what we're going to find out is it's, it's broken up into three sections. The first section we're going to find in the first two verses. This is where God's Word is going to teach us that we should spend our lives in, in, in unceasing praise to God. Your life and my life is going to be spent on something. Everybody agree with that? You're going to spend and you are spending right now your life on something. Every single breath that you breathe, every step that you take, every decision that you make, you're spending it on something. Sadly, we so often spend our lives on the wrong things. We spend our lives on worthless dreams, on empty ideas. On useless causes and temporal mirages. We spend our lives on vain pursuits. We spend our lives on faulty saviors. We spend our lives on fragile treasures and temporal pleasures. And wind chasing trivialities. But we spend our lives. Make no mistake. You're spending your life on something right now. Your dreams. Your energy. Your time, your love, your money, your devotion. Your commitments and your tears, your blood, your intellect, you're spending it all on something. And yet what the psalmist reminds us of this morning is that when you're spending your lives on those temporal mirages, when you're spending your lives on those vain pursuits, the psalmist is trying to help us understand this morning that God did not create you for such small purposes. God created us for something far greater. That we might be living, breathing billboards that testify to the greatness of God. That's what you're here for. Every word. Every relationship. Every ounce of suffering. Every trial, every difficulty, every joy and blessing and every single scourge that this world gives you, use it. Use it for God. So listen to the psalmist's words. For as long as I live, for as long as I live, I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Uh, just curious this morning, who here has your being this morning? It's not a trick question. We all have our being. If you're breathing here and you're listening to me and you're, you're enjoying life right now, listen, you can fit into this category. The question you have to ask is, am I willing to live a life of that kind of radical pursuit? Now, I stumbled over a book this past week, and it literally was almost like stumbling over a book. I did not seek the book out. It, just, it was just right in front of me. There it is, and I began to read some of this book. It's, it's written by a lady named Susan Mitchell. Title of the book, Be Bold and Discover the Power of Praise. Premise, very simple. There is power in praise, both in receiving it and in giving it. And something happens, says the author, when you understand that, you perhaps for the first time in your life, you become a bold person. 
Now, the book is not written from a Christian worldview. Yet when I read this section, I was just arrested by it. So I give it to you. She says, the truth is, most of us are mean with it, talking about praise. We don't know how to give it generously or receive it gracefully. Yet, here it is, we all spend our lives craving it. From the first moment that we can remember, we run and hop and skip and dance and sing to someone so that they will clap and say, clever boy, clever girl. And then as we get older, we desperately try to be on the best football team or tennis team or school choir or school play. And if we achieve one of these ambitions, the praise that follows is the real prize. And even if it isn't lavish, we are happy to accept the crumbs from the high table. We are all hungry for praise. And why not? And my purpose this morning is not to critique Miss Mitchell's book. But church, I want you to hear me this morning. I am standing before you this morning. Again, not as a special man, but as a man who has come to at least give a degree of a warning today. There is a struggle that you and I deal with on a daily basis. And the struggle is found right there in the words of the author. Yes, there's room in life for praise and for honors and for attaboys and girls. What kind of life would it be if you didn't have any of that? But I want you to hear me this morning. Our gravest problem, one of the gravest problems in our lives is that we spend our lives craving it. We want the glory and we want the praise and we want the credit and the spotlight. And so we clamor for it and fight for it and we work for it and we steal it and we destroy for it and we cry for it and we give ourselves for it. And then when you're done, if you have been successful at making life all about you, you look at your mound of praise and your mound of accolades. You look at it in one somber day. You come to the realization that you have mounded up for yourselves stolen praise. Because we all struggle with the challenge of not becoming praise thieves and glory seekers. You see, that's not the life God intended for us. He intended for us to be praise givers. To him. And so I ask you a question this morning. What are you spending your life on? Let me be more detailed. Generally speaking, you and I have been given 23,000 breaths a day. That's right. Generally speaking, 23,000 breaths a day given by God, whom you and I sometimes ignore. 23,000 breaths a day given to us by our creator. But when was the last time we thanked him for even one? Now, I understand because you, you, what you, what maybe you don't know is that this message has already worked its way in my own heart before I'm giving it to you. And I stand before you as a man who has not arrived. I stand before you as a man who needs to understand in a much deeper level what it means to praise God with all of my being ceaselessly and to trust him in that same capacity. But I want to tell you this morning something, and it's, it's this, is that when you think about this, 
Yes, sometimes we might praise God whenever something takes our breath away. But what about the other 23,999 times that you breathe? 23,000 breaths God's given you. Are you using them for him? And what this means, practically speaking, is essentially what the author of Hebrews teaches us over in chapter 13, verse 15. The author of Hebrews says, through him, then let us continually. What was the word that I just said? Go ahead. Continually. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Practically speaking, what this means is that when you talk about your dreams and you talk about your goals and you talk about your plans and you talk about your problems and you talk about your suffering and you talk about your joys in life, literally what this means is that God calls you and I to offer the sacrifice of praise, an intentional decision, something that requires effort, something that doesn't happen accidentally. You offer the sacrifice of praise through the fruit of lips that call attention to his glory. Every single day. I'm not sure about you, but I'm not there. I am so far beyond that. But I want to be there and I want to stand next to the psalmist and say, with all of my life and my being, God, I praise you. Light me up like a candle and make me nothing even while I give light to this world. So I want to challenge you in terms of applying this. What are the dreams that you spend your time talking about? What are the treasures that right now you're spending your money on? What are your plans and your goals that you spend your time working towards? I want you to take some time perhaps this week and ask those questions. If you're married, I want you to hang out with your spouse And I want you to have a real conversation. I can't make you do this. I'm asking you to do it. I'm encouraging you to do it. Talk to one another and ask yourselves, what are the dreams that we talk about? What are the things that we're planning? What are the things that consume us in our mind? And then here's the ever important question. I want you to ask yourself this question when you get to that point. Ask yourself, is this what it looks like to spend my life for God? If you're single, do the same thing. Find a place of solitude. Ask those questions. Ask yourself the question, what are the dreams that I spend my time talking about and the treasures that I'm spending my money on and the goals that I'm working towards? And then ask yourself, is this what it looks like to spend my life for God? And if it's not, let the Spirit of God guide you to correction. Because God has called us to spend our lives for Him ceaselessly. Live your life. Spend your life. And unceasing praise to God. What we learn next when you look at the next couple of verses. Starting with verse 3. Put not your trust in princes. In a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs he returns to the earth. On that day his plans perish. You see not only does God's word call us. To spend our lives in ceaseless praise to God. But there is a warning that comes in the text here. And it's a warning that we all need to embrace. And it's simply this. We also need to guard our hearts from unreliable trust in man. You see, those two things, they they really don't work out well together. It's like water and oil. 
You cannot be living a life of ceaseless praise to the Lord while at the same time placing your trust in unreliable people. And so the text says, put not your trust in princes. Notice what the psalmist does. He moves from the call and the commitment to praise God with all of our being, calling attention to the futility of placing your trust in men. And listen, folks, it may not be a lie or maybe even something you've given a great deal of thought to, but understand something. Your praise will always be keyed to the tune of the one in whom you are trusting. Now, maybe that's a tongue twister of sorts. So listen to me carefully. Whatever your praise sounds like coming off of your lips, it will always be tuned to the one in whom you're trusting. And so if you're trusting in a person, if you're trusting in a religious leader, if you're trusting in a political leader, if you're trusting in any of that, that's what's going to be ringing off of your lips. That will be the sound of your praise. And so ask yourself this morning, church, what rings from your lips? What song do you sing when you're out of this forum? When you're in your conversations with your husband or your wife and you're talking about real life problems and real life joys, what praise comes from your lips? When you're talking to your kids and you're trying to lead them and train them, what praise comes from your lips? Do you see the connection here that we are to live a life of ceaseless praise? And if you're putting your trust in any other person, it's going to be known and heard. But it's a it's really a bad deal. You've bought into a lie because of the fancy packaging. And the psalmist tells us at least two reasons. There's a lot of reasons that you and I could talk about for why you shouldn't be putting your trust in man. There's at least two from this text. And if you're looking for something greatly profound, you're not going to get it. But listen to me nonetheless. The first reason why you can't be trusting in men, you can't trust in princes. And if you're struggling understanding what that means, influential people, powerful people, decision makers, people with the Benjamins or the dollars or the money. That's who is in mind here. Don't put your trust in princes. And the first reason why you can't do that and you shouldn't do that is because he can't save you. The princes of this world cannot give you salvation. Salvation of any kind. As I mentioned earlier, most think that this passage of scripture was written after the Babylonian exile. Now, when you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we call that the Septuagint. There is a subscript there. It's a heading, I should say. And in the heading, it attributes Psalm 146 to the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, two prophets that were actively involved in ministry during that time after Israel left Babylon. Some of the Jews had returned to the land. They were counting on the influence of the Persian king Cyrus. You've heard of him before. They needed to get this rebuilding thing done. In particular, they needed to get the temple rebuilt. And so they looked to this Persian king, Cyrus. And at first, Cyrus, he's so helpful. He's helpful and he not only gives them permission, but also support. But then before long, the whispering begins to take place in the king's ear. And he changes his mind. And now the plan is just destroyed. You see, that's the way it happens in your life and in mine when you put your trust in princes. In the influential people to make things happen for you. I'm not sure what you came in here carrying this morning. What I am certain of 
Is it like myself? There's a whole host of people sitting here in these seats looking at me right now. And you have struggles and challenges, real genuine struggles and challenges going on in your life right now as I speak. And the temptation for you is to look to man to find the answer. It might be a medical report from the doctor and it's not so positive. What's the first thing that we do? We start looking at the finances in some cases and we try to figure out how can I get the best medical care possible? You might be a single person here and you feel lonely and isolated. And what do you do? You tell yourself, if I could just find the right man or the right woman, everything would be fine. It may be a job and the job literally is, it's sucking the very life out of you and you don't know what's going to happen. You've got to provide for your family and you keep telling yourself, if I just had the right boss, if I just had the right job, don't put your, your, your trust, don't put your hope in the princes of this world. You look to God. There's a second reason why we shouldn't be doing that. He said, not only can he not save you, he can't even save himself. Look at what the text says in verse four, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. As one author put it, he who makes a man, his God must be expecting his God to die every hour. That's what you're signing on for. When you're trying to find your hope that we all need, when you're trying to find your ultimate help, which we all need, when you're doing that, you're literally signing up for the program that says, okay, my God will die every hour because that's what people do. That's right. There's not a single person listening to the sound of my voice right now who will escape death outside of Jesus Christ coming first. People die. You can't escape that. That is a, an inescapable appointment. Men come and go. Life is nothing but a vapor. And I assure you this morning that you may in fact die with the most toys. And we like that thought sometimes, don't we? But just, just remember this. The one who dies with the most toys leaves the biggest mess for others to clean up. That's kind of how that thing works. What's worse than even that is this, is that you still die. But then you, you compare that to our God and our Lord. I love what Anselm has to say. He says, think of God and you will find an is where there cannot be a has been nor a shall be. Church, can I just encourage you with something this morning? Yes, I'm in the middle of the warning. I get that. But as we get ready to transition to the greatness of our God that's displayed in this passage, can I encourage you this morning that our God who is and who always is, can I encourage you that there is not a single struggle in your life in which his arm is too short to reach? Can I encourage you this morning that there is not a brokenness in your heart that God is incapable of fixing? I've been sharing my personal testimony for years now is the way that God flung me into ministry as a a very young man. And it wasn't until a couple of years of sharing my testimony that I began to realize, wow, I have a story. And actually, it's not even my story. It's it's God's story. And and I, I began calling my story scars of grace. 
Because every scar tells a story. You look at it on your body, it's going to tell a story of something. And though you can't see it and though you don't know it, there is a plethora of scars inside this man's body. And yet when I look, I see that those are scars of grace. Because God took a nobody and he chose to do something with him. The very thing that God can and wants to do with each of you. Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your hope in influential people thinking that that's the answer. You turn, you turn to God. Now, what does this look like? What does it look like? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and maybe the question has crossed your mind. Well, well, Benny, this is all well and good, but I'm not even sure if I've ever done that before. I don't know if I'm guilty of putting my trust in princes or in influential people or people in general. Let me help you this morning with an exercise. Can we do this together? I'm going to talk about some hard things. Can I do that? I'm going to talk about some things that are probably going to touch a soft spot in your heart. I don't want you to raise your hand this morning. I don't want to embarrass people. But you see, what I know to be true this morning is that there are people who are sitting before me. There are some of you right now, and you've got anger in your heart. You know it's true. The people closest to you know that it's true as well, by the way. You've got anger in your heart. It's anger sometimes that is uncontrollable. But you're not the only one here. You see, there's other people here this morning, and it's not so much anger as much as it is bitterness. You've got genuine bitterness that has been rooted in your heart, and it's been growing there who knows how long. It may have been weeks. It's probably years. There are some of you right now listening to the sound of my voice, and you have despondency in your heart even now as I speak. It may be diagnosed as depression. And listen, I do not want to minimize the fact that we have frail human bodies. And physically speaking, we can have physical things happen that cause a lot of mess in our lives. But I want to emphasize the fact that sometimes things, even things as difficult as depression, can have a spiritual root to them. And some of you sitting before me this morning, you're despondent and depressed. And here's the challenge. Could it be that your anger and your hurt and your bitterness and even your depression, could it be that the reason you have that right now is as you look at your memories of mom and you look at your memory of your dad, or maybe it was your husband or your wife or your boss or a friend or a child, somebody let you down. Somebody broke the promise to you. And unfortunately, you were putting your trust in princes instead of putting your trust in the king. It's true. And I don't know who you are and I don't need to know who you are this morning. I've been there. And until you begin to recognize that perhaps your greatest problem is misplaced trust and not so much broken promises, you will never, never be reconciled. This is what it looks like 
when you trust in the princes of this world. But let's make a turn. Let's make a turn in the little bit of time that I have left this morning and let's do this. Let's take a look at the last thing the psalmist tells us, which spans from verse 5 to verse 10, in which he teaches us this. Remember, what he's taught us so far is pretty simple. He said, you know what? God is great. God is so great, in fact, that he demands a response. His greatness demands a response. And the only reasonable response is a life of ceaseless praise and trust in him. And so... You should spend your lives in ceaseless praise to God. And so you should guard your hearts from trusting in men. And then lastly, you should rest your hope in unwavering reliance on the Lord. You discover here in this section the oughtness. You discover the fuel for our oughtness, I should say. Let me explain to you what I mean. If it's true that we ought to live our lives in ceaseless praise and trust, then here are the reasons for that. This is what drives that. I think it not to be an accident here that God has given the title, the God of Jacob. Think back with me for just a moment. Think about Jacob, a man who was such a scoundrel, such a deceiver. Such a guy who always tried to make things happen in the power of his own strength. Even when he was coming out of the womb, he had a hold of his brother's, his brother's heel. Always trying to get a, a leg up, so to speak. And yes, the pun was intended. Always trying to do things like that. And if you trace his life, you see that God used this man mightily, but it was in spite of him. Is the story not the same for you and for me? Do we not go through our lives so many times tempted to make things happen, make our plan work, make sure we get the right answers, make sure we we get the, the right thing done. We do this. We try to create things. We play little mini gods. But aren't you thankful this morning that the God that I'm talking about today is the God of Jacob, the God who can use and do wonderful things in your life in spite of your frailty, in spite of my frailty. Guys, listen, I don't know if that excites you or not, but it thrills my heart. And so the psalmist says this, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Now, there's a lot of reasons we have that are given here, and I have to move quickly through them. So you need to listen quickly. There's a lot of reasons he gives us for trusting in God alone. The first is this, because our God has strength enough To create the universe. Did anybody hear me this morning? You can trust God because the God that I'm talking about, he has strength enough to create the universe. He spoke everything into existence with the power of his word. Do you think, believer, do you think he can handle your problems? Do you think he can come through for you? Oh, he most certainly can. He is the God who can orbit galaxies and who can make or move mountains with equal ease, who can swirl the seas in their basin as though they were a few pints of water. This is the God that we serve. But it's not just because he has strength enough to create the universe, but because God is faithful enough to fulfill his promise. Look at the phrase at the end of verse six, who keeps faith forever? 
I don't know about you, but some of the most precious things that I find in this word are those things called promises. Promises. And so when I feel like my heart is shattered into a million pieces, I go to the promises of God's word and it says, you can be whole. I go to the the struggle of anger that sometimes creeps up in my own heart. And I go to this and I see that I can overcome the promises of God. They are always true. He was always faithful. God will stand by his word. And he is there standing by you. But not only that. He is strength enough to create the universe. Faithful enough to fulfill his promise. But I want you to hear me this morning. Especially believer. He has care enough to intervene in your life. I call them interruptions of grace. Personally. All of those times that God has interrupted my life, ruined my plans to show me his grace. And if you're wondering this morning, what does that mean for me, Benny? Well, when you look at verses seven through nine, you read a lot of different things. Let me summarize it for you in this way. I don't know who you are this morning, but you're going to find yourself in the list that I'm about to share with you. Because you see, for the oppressed, he is the God of justice. Don't we need that today? Don't we need the God of justice today? For the hungry, he is the giver of food. For the prisoner, he is the breaker of chains. For the blind, the giver of sight, the bowed down, the one who lifts you up, the righteous, the one who loves you, the sojourner, the one who watches over you. For the widow, he is the groom. For the fatherless, he is your father. This is the God that I'm speaking of. And you can take this text in, in so many different ways. You can say, well, well, Benny, this is, this is about the Israelites, God's people, whenever they were released from bondage. And no doubt, as the psalmist is writing this, he has something of that in view. He knows of the oppression that they felt. He knows of the bondage that they were under. He knows of the hunger pains that they worked through. Certainly there's application for that. But how could you read this and not have your mind taken all the way back to Isaiah 61 I'm not going to read it all, but you know it. The spirit of the Lord of God is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news, etc., etc. In fact, it's the very words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed. This is the very ministry of Jesus Christ. But then again, how could you read this and not see yourself? Is there any believer here who cannot say that we were the oppressed, the beaten and the scorned by the enemy and he delivered us? We stand here, we sit here today and we acknowledge that we were the hungry eating from the trash bins of this world. And he brought you to his table and he gave you the bread of life. We were the prisoner held captive by sin. And oh, God in his grace, he broke the chains from your neck and my neck. That is what this passage is about. 
We were the blind, unable to even see our depravity. And he opened our eyes. We were the bowed down. And what did God do? God came alongside us and he tore from us the filthy rags that were suitable for an enemy. And he placed upon you, he placed upon me a robe of righteousness, church. A robe of righteousness. This is the God that I'm calling attention to today. Maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you have never placed your trust in Jesus. And it's to you that I want to speak to right now. To the one who has never turned from their way and turned to God. To the one who is very religious and tries to live a good life, but you've never placed your trust in Jesus. I want you to know what you're signing up for. I want you to know on the basis of God's word what you are choosing. You need to know that. Because at the end of verse 9, the scripture says, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This is you this morning. You need to know what you're choosing. Because according to scripture, there is a way that seems right to man. But the end leads to destruction. And you might be powerful and wealthy and influential and educated and religious. But apart from faith in the person of Christ, you're writing yourself into verse 9, the last part of it. You're choosing a path of ruin and the ruin will be great. You don't have to agree with me and you don't have to like the message. But the word of God teaches that ruin is what awaits you. So you might ask yourself this morning. What do I do now that I've been confronted with a God of Jacob? A God who is loving and compassionate. But who is just and holy. Maybe you should go to the place where those two things met. Where God's holiness was married to his love. As Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he took upon himself the full wrath of the father. And in doing so he maintained the holiness and the justice of God. But equally in doing so he made a way for every single person. Who will trust in Jesus Christ alone. To be clothed with the righteousness of his. So I ask you this morning, if that's you, go to the cross. Because if you don't, ruin awaits you. So we bring our time to a close this morning. The last thing that we're taught from verse 10. Is that we trust in this God because... Our God is sovereign enough to reign forever. Verse 10 says, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. You see, many are in this life, going through this life, under the gross delusion that God is a myth or that Jesus is merely a dead Jewish carpenter. But the Lord will reign forever. And he doesn't ask our permission to exist. I'll close with a story. 
There's a pastor that I read about this past week. He was working in Burma. He described a scene where he came across a group of people who were bowed down before this huge golden statue of Buddha. And as he sees them, he sees them just pouring their lives out. And he talks about how they were taking their money, what looked to be basically all they had. And they were, they were casting it there in, in the containers. And he said, as they're pouring their life out and their hearts out before this golden Buddha, he said, something interesting happened. I looked around the side and I saw, I saw scaffolding. And up on the scaffolding high were workers. Workers who were up there feverishly with tools trying to repair the broken Buddha. And he talked about what a scene that was. He talked about the insanity. Broken people looking to a broken Buddha. Asking a broken Buddha to fix their broken lives. While someone else fixed the broken Buddha. And are we any different? How many times do you and I. Look to broken people to fix our own brokenness. When all along God. Is right there. Ready. Able. Wanting. To be everything for you. Will you pray with me, please? Father, this is your word. God, even if I could, because of my own human frailty, I couldn't possibly get anybody to respond to this message. But oh, Father, I am so thankful that your spirit is living, is active. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of every individual here. Lord, there are some believers here today who need to recognize and confess the sin of putting their trust in the princes of this world. Oh, God, give them the courage to acknowledge what you've shown them. God, there are some here today that they need desperately to fall down at your feet, God, and to lay themselves out bare saying, I have no one but you, God, and you're enough. And then, Father, there may be some here who are sojourners. They are living outside the camp of your family. And they have never placed their trust in your son. And their path is one that leads to ruin. Oh God, would you convict their hearts and show them your greatness today. Draw them to yourself. I pray in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.